Well, amen. Well, it is great to have you with us this morning. The, the early people who got their clocks changed, so way to go. Uh, I'll try and keep you awake. I'll kind of nudge somebody if they fall asleep a little during the message. It has been a challenging week. Last week, many of you mentioned how much you enjoyed listening to my friend Matt speak about the fact that our God will not take second place. We talked about these Dagons, this fish god of the Philistines that he referred to as Admiral Akbar. It's a trap! If you don't know what that means, you need to know more about Star Wars or, or uh, look into that. But the fish god of the Philistines. And if anything, this week and the last couple weeks have shown us that if you anchor your happiness into circumstances or into the things of this world you think are secure, my goodness, can things change. I mean, unless you've been investing in, in maybe a hand sanitizer, you know, the last couple of weeks, you're probably feeling well. In fact, we have, honestly, we have actually asked our, just for the sake of not spreading stuff, we've asked our uh, greeters for the next couple of weeks um, to, you know, not shake hands and things like that, so not to spread this thing. So that's one of the things we're going to do. Um, However, you know, it's one of those things where uh, you walk in the door and somebody's like, hey, it's nice to meet you. And you're like, squirt, squirt. Oh, yeah, it's nice to meet you too. And they say, hey, tell me about yourself. Uh, well, we have four kids. Four kids. <laughs> really? Oh, one's a toddler. That's great. That's really wonderful. It's great to have you here at Horizon. So, um, so just that's one of the things we're doing to kind of keep the spread going, uh, at least uh, do our part. So we're going to look today, though, at this idea of what are the things that are secure and what does repentance look like? What does it look like to repent? And you may think of new, the repentance as a New Testament idea, but actually you're going to see how clearly it comes out of the Old Testament. Where we left off with math last week is that Israel lost the ark, Ichabod, the glory has departed. And the, chapter 6 is going to pick back up seven months later, but for seven months the ark is gone. It moved from Shiloh to Ebenezer, and now it's been moved to Ashdod, one of the Philistine cities. And here in the Philistine city... Plagues have broken out in five different Philistine cities. And as this plague has broken out, they're like, we got to get rid of this sickness. We got to get rid of this. We got to get healed. What do we do? And this chapter is going to show how to repent. Both the Israelites are going to repent for trying to use God's magic box as a, as a lucky rabbit's foot. And the Philistines are going to repent from trying to put our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in a subordinate place to Admiral Akbar, the, uh, the Philistine fish god. In fact, look at this verse here. It looks at the repentance that happens at the end of chapter 6. Then the men of Beth Shemesh, place in Israel, offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw them repenting, they returned to Ekron that day because they too had repented by offering God the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering. So look at that. The Philistines have a trespass offering, and the Israelites have a trespass offering. And the Philistines' trespass offering is five golden tumors. What in the world is a golden tumor? To understand that, we need to go back to chapter 5 and touch on one thing that Matt didn't get to that wasn't going to be important until today. What is a golden tumor? Well, if you read in the King James, the King James makes it a little bit more clear. Back in chapter 5, the King James says, that plague that broke out amongst the Philistines, they had emeralds in their secret parts. And that doesn't sound good. Verse 12, and the men that died, so later in the other cities, some people died, but the ones that didn't die had something else called emeralds. Hmm. 
There's one more kind of hint at what this might be. Because when the Philistines are talking about what God did to them, they say in verse 7, The ark of the Lord of Israel shall not abide with us. Get rid of that thing. For his hand has been sore on us. And the Hebrew word here, and the King James translation of it, is the word for hemorrhoids. God has smote the Philistines with hemorrhoids. And that's why it is sore. The Lord has been sore on us. However, people don't die of hemorrhoids. So it seems to be two things in play here because they are offering a sacrifice of five golden tumors, five golden hemorrhoids. Imagine making that for craft time. Let's all make a hemorrhoid together. I haven't seen a lot of them, but I'm imagining, right? So the five golden hemorrhoids, but also there'll be five golden rats. And scholars debate on this. Some think it's just hemorrhoids, but because later on they die from it and the rats are involved, some people think it's the bubonic plague. And so as the ark was being moved from city to city, there were rats involved that were taking this contagion of bubonic plague, which is why it gets worse as you go city to city. Now, others think this might be syphilis, secret parts, you know, flipping it around a little bit, and the syphilis would result in, in a seven-month incubation period, some people dying from it. Now, Dagon was a fertility god, and so the fact that they've captured the ark probably involved this gigantic orgy at the beginning of the seven months, which very much could have led to this STD. For the sake of conversation today, I take the position it's a combination of hemorrhoids and, uh, and bubonic plague, which bubonic plague creates swelling in your groin area, in your neck, in your armpits. So repentance is one sense saying, God, I agree with you. I've been a pain in the neck to you. Another way of saying repentance is, God, I agree. The consequence of that, I've been a pain in the butt to you. I've been a pain in the keister to you. However you want to say it. But repentance is agreeing with God that the consequences I've faced, the hemorrhoids and the rats, came because I put you in second place. So with that in mind, we're going to dig into looking at two things today as we learn about repentance. We're going to watch our Dagons. What are those foreign gods we have placed God in subordination to? The Dagons. Watch your Dagons. And number two, we're going to watch some cows. Because they become very important at the later part of the chapter. In hopes that we can learn how and why we repent. Let's begin by watching our Dagons. Watch because all of your Dagons, all of the, the things you make into a God that are not the God of the Bible, all Dagons will eventually be dragon. They'll eventually fall over. And that's what happens. The ark has been taken now from Shiloh, where the worship center was, to Ebenezer. And then it's captured by the Philistines and taken to five cities. Aphek, Ashdod, uh, Gath, Ekron, and kind of doing the circuit here. So that's what's been going on here for the last seven months. Now, if you've ever seen what Ashdod looks like, it's a coastal city. Remember, the Philistines were known as sea people. It's here in this location, there was a temple of the Philistines where they put their dagon, their fish god, it's a trap, standing before the ark of the Lord. And when they did, if you remember from last week, if you weren't here, I'll remind you, because it's our key verse for today. What happened with dagon during this time? If you want to open uh, your Bible up with me into First um, Samuel chapter 6, this verse came from chapter 5 that kind of highlights where we're at today. And when they arose early the next morning, Dagon standing before the ark, there was Dagon, falling on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon, and both the palms of his hands, were broken off on the threshold, and only Dagon's 
torso remained. And what Matt told us last week is that kind of like terrorists cut people's head off to say, I'm in charge. God was saying to Dagon, you're not in charge. Just like he lost his hands, the God of Hebrews was saying, your God is not capable. And that's what was going on here. Your God is not capable. Your God is not in charge. The Dagon ended up dragon. And they all do. All of the things you anchor your identity or your peace into besides God is going to eventually fail you. Good things cannot sustain the pressure of being an ultimate thing. And when you've turned a Dagon into the main thing in your life, which we all do, we need to know how to repent. And here embedded in this section on Dagon are five ways the Philistines, this is pretty amazing to me, the Philistine diviners are giving the advice on how the Philistines can get right with a Hebrew God. And there's so much true biblical wisdom coming here, even though we're listening to the Philistine sorcerers here. And they're trying to get right with God. And here's what they say. Number one, when do we repent? Most of us repent when it's gone on long enough that we've got to. The pain, the difficulty, it's been two months, it's been ten years, I'm finally going to have to reconcile with my daughter. the, The pain of the distance, it's hurt me enough that I need to look at myself and what maybe I need to repent of. The pain of being very, very critical, but it wasn't until that divorce that we finally had to look in the mirror and say, wow, I didn't realize I was that hard to live with. Often it's until the pain gets, goes on long enough that we're finally willing to repent. And that's what happens here with the Philistines. The Ark of the Lord was in the country for seven months. When did they hit rock bottom? After seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. They're ready to repent. But it took seven months. Could have taken two. Could have taken three. How about for you? How long will it take before you repent and turn back to God? Are you past the seven-month mark? Do you have secrets in your life that you're not being honest with God about? Or yourself. It's time to turn around. For some of us, we don't repent until it's been long enough. For others, we don't repent until it hurts bad enough. And that's the next part. We repent when it hurts bad enough that we got to change. So they said, if we send away the ark of God to Israel, don't send it away empty. You've you got to show the God that you, you recognize that we're in the wrong here. By all means, return it to him. Give him his ark back. But make sure you send a trespass offering. Then you will be healed. And there it is. It's hurt bad enough. It's hurt bad enough. It's hurt bad enough. It's hurt bad enough. We're finally going to repent. And for many of us, it's got to hurt really, really, really bad before we're finally able to be self-aware enough to say, God, forgive me. I have not been kind. I have not been generous. I have not been patient. I've not been self-controlled. God, I have given my life over to power, to lust, to impatience, to self-centeredness. How bad does it need to hurt for you to repent? Third, it needs to be specific. 
Repentance needs to be specific, acknowledging what you've done and accepting God's discipline. Look how specific this is from the Philistines. They said, now that trespass offering, what's going to be on that? That trespass offering needs to be constructed of five golden tamroids and five golden rats, according to, specifically to, the number of lords of the Philistines. Five Philistine mayors, five Philistine cities... The tumor represents the judgment, and the rats represent the judgment. Very, very specific. And I think often what happens to us is we hurt each other specifically in marriage, in relationships, and then we try to apologize generically. You know, it really hurt me the other day. When you didn't listen, you cut me off. That's what you did, and here's your apology. Well, I'm sorry if I did anything wrong. Has that ever made anyone feel better? I'm sorry if I might have made you feel... No, no, that's not an apology. It never helps when you hurt people specifically and you apologize generically. Repentance before God and other people is, when I did this, I was wrong and I am sorry and will you forgive me for that specific thing? The specific five cities, the specific five hemorrhoids, the specific five rats... So basically the Philistines are saying, there's this little song here of repentance. You know, it's five golden hemorrhoids, five golden hemorrhoids, four or so rats, three corrupt priests, two milking cows, and a dagon fell flat in his face. I mean, this is the Christmas song they're teaching them here. How do you repent? Specific, acknowledging what you've done before God and others. Four, repentance when your dagon falls is about seeking mercy from the true God. Now, mercy means not getting what you deserve. So coming before God says, God, I don't deserve this because I'm wrong. I don't deserve your help because I've fallen short. I need your mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. Give me what I don't deserve. I put my allegiance into the fish God, my reputation, my status, my money, how people feel about me, whatever it was, and I repent and I need mercy from you for what I did, the idol I set up in my life. See, the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. It affected everybody. It doesn't matter if you have lots of influence or don't have a lot of influence. We all have dagons. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land. And again, you can just imagine Philistine craft time. All right, now, that's a pretty good-looking rat. Could you add some whiskers? Yeah, I'll put some whiskers on there. Oh, how about you? Well, I'm, I'm carving the golden hemorrhoid. Well, it doesn't look like my hemorrhoid. Well, it looks like my hemorrhoid. So, so they're working on their hemorrhoids together. But the whole point is they're saying those trespass offerings, way of saying, God, we need mercy for what we've done. We are facing the consequences of our rebellion. So that, and this is again, the Philistine diviners are talking here, that you would give glory, credit, or weight to the God of Israel. And if you do that, perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, and from our land. Look at that phrase, to give glory to God. The theme of God's glory runs through the entire Bible. That's what God wants more than anything. He wants more and more people, Israelites and Philistines, religious people and irreligious people, to see him for who he is and give weight. What a forgiving God. To give weight to the one true God. To give weight to the merciful God. That's what God's looking for from you and from me. He wants us to continue to invite our friends to come and explore their faith and to find faith in the true God that they would also give weight give weight 
to the one true God. That's why we do what we do. Why do we gather together and study the Bible so we can get smarter? Well, yeah, but it's so that we can give glory to God as we discover how he works and what he did back then, what he'll do now. Why do we have a two-service design? An, an evangelism service and exploring service. Because we want to help people who are 20-year Bible veterans deep, dig deep into the Bible and worship of God. We want to help those who are curious and skeptical about the Bible investigate Him. Look into their questions and doubts. They would give glory to God. The reason we serve. The reason we do funerals. The reason you give financially to Horizon, the work going on here. It's not just so we can keep the lights on. It's so that more and more people can walk through our doors, discover the God of grace, the God of love, and give glory to God. This year we're going to do seven Easter services again. Why? It'd be a lot easier to do five or four. We want to create space and room for you and your family and your friends, some who which love Jesus and love Easter, some which are coming along because mom says you have to. Even though they're 50, mom still says I have to, right? We want to create a context for people to give glory to God. So I hope when you're serving, when you're writing a check, when you're inviting a friend, I hope that you're thinking, God, please help my friend. I hope Chad is good today. I hope Drew is good today. I hope the band is great today because I want my friends to take a step toward finding the God of the Bible. In fact, we're going to have tickets for our Easter service starting next week. We've got three services on Saturday. We do a three, a four, and a five, and then we're going to do our usual services on Sunday, 8.50, 10, 11, 10, and 12.20. Um, we do want you to get uh, complimentary tickets for that starting next week, just so we can spread out and make sure there's room for everyone to come and explore the faith. So repentance is about seeking mercy from the true God. And the last thing we see, it's about softening your hearts. And this is so amazing that the Philistines seem to know what happened from the Egyptians based on the story they've heard of the God of the Hebrews. Why do you then harden your hearts? Don't be like those Egyptians. You remember, they got ten plagues. We've only got one. Maybe two if you count the bubonic plague and the hemorrhoids. Don't harden your hearts. Pharaoh hardened his heart. That didn't work out well. When he did mighty things among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? Therefore, here's what you need to do. Take a new cart, two milking cows, grab two milking cows that have never been yoked, Hitch the cows to the cart. Take the calves home away from them. That's what I want you to do. And it continues. Then the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold. That's the hemorrhoids and the the rats. Put them on right next to it in the cart. Send its way and let it go. They've actually found hieroglyphics of different carts and, and how they might be pulled in those days. In fact, this is an actual cart from that time period. Just imagine that cart with the ark sitting in it little box of golden hemorrhoids and golden rats and two cows pulling its way. Heading home. Now Leanne was driving her car one evening. It was dark and it was late. As she was driving her car, she could see the shadow of a large man. Turned out to be about an 18-year-old football player walking along the side of the road. She wasn't sure what she should do. But she was pretty bold. So she pulled over on the side of the road and she got out of the car. She walked up. She said, hey, where are you going? This teenager turned to her and said, that way. What's that way? Gymnasium. The gymnasium 
is not open this time of night. Why are you going to the gymnasium? It's warm. And then she realized. She said, do you not have a place to stay tonight? Yeah, I have a place to stay. Don't you lie to me, Michael. No, ma'am, I don't. She paused for a moment, looked back at her husband in the car, looked back at him and said, maybe it's time to come home. Why don't you hop in the car and come home with us? Yes, ma'am. Michael stepped into the car and they brought him home, gave him a place to eat, a place to sleep. They eventually adopted him. And that true story was made popular in the movie Blindside because Leanne was played by Sandra Bullock. And she saw Michael walking, walking in the darkness, just trying to find a warm place to just make it through another night. But her words were simple. Come home. Get in the car. I have a place for you. That's what repentance is. It's God looking to you and saying, you have been wandering around trying to find warmth next to some Dagon. Come home. Get in the car. I have a place for you. I want to adopt you. When your Dagons are dragging, it's time to turn around and head home. I told you we're going to do two things today. We're going to watch our dragons, our dagons, rather not dragons, our dagons, and then we're going to watch our cows. Let's move over to the cows because now we're at this place of sacrifice moving toward the Israelites. What does it look like to watch our cows? Well, it starts off the Philistines again saying, and watch, watch those cows pull that stuff, that cart. It's going to go down the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh. When he... Then, when you watch the cows pull this thing, then he has done this great evil. Watch. If he didn't do it, then we will know it's not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. In other words, we're going to send the cows, and if the cows take the ark directly back to Israel, we're going to say, it was God, the plague was from God, he took our and accepted our trespass offering. If the cows kind of just wander around in a circle and don't go anywhere, we'll just know that it was by chance we got this plague. That's what they're saying here. Then the men did so. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, shut up the calves at home. They set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of the tumors. Then the cows headed straight down the road to Beth Shemesh. They went along the highway, lowing as they went, and they did not turn aside to the left or to the right. And the lords of the Philistines watched. Now get this. Two cows. They start pulling and they're lowing. And they don't go left. They don't go right. They stay directly on the road. Now the humor here is that the cows know how to stay on the path better than God's people. Joshua used these exact same words in Joshua chapter 1 when he says, Meditate on God's word. Meditate on God's word day and night. Do not turn to the left or to the right. The cows know how to repent and know how to stay in the path of God better than humans. So don't, don't miss the humor here that the cows aren't turning to the left or right. They're heading straight home, go straight to, to, uh, to uh, boardwalk, do not pass go, do not collect $200, directly there. They're heading that way. And they're going to bring the ark and bring the trespass offering with the lords of the Philistines leaping afterwards watching and bring it to Beth Shemesh. 
Now, I had the opportunity to visit Beth Shemesh back in 2012. And I want you to imagine it's been seven months since you've seen the ark. You think God has abandoned you. Ichabod, Ichabod, the glory has departed. And you're standing in that field. All right? Let's go on location. Let me show you what that field looks like. And I want you to imagine that you're going to be in this field, that you're standing there in this place, and that you've been wondering, where is the ark, and will God ever return? Now, this is taken, this footage, from a mountain right across from this field. So you see the road there. You see all these fields. Now, next to the field are some archaeological finds. I got a chance to walk through that, where they actually had villages where people were staying. So these were the farmers were staying. So during the day, they've left their homes. They've headed out to where those cornfield areas were, wheat fields out there, where they are saying to themselves, are we going to head home another night? It's another night without God, another night without the ark. And all of a sudden, they look up from their fields in the top left corner on that path, and they see two cows heading straight down the path in those days. And a cow, you can see glittering in the sunlight, something gold is in that cart with them. It's coming right down that path toward us. And they suddenly look up and they realize the Ark of the Covenant has returned to Beth Shemesh. God has not abandoned us. God has not forgotten us. And so that's where they're at. And just to show you the path here, the Ark has come from Ekron, which is this direction, toward Beth Shemesh, passes by Timnah. Now, I remember I told you that Samuel is living at the same time as Samson. You may recognize Timnah. If you don't, Samson got married for like 12 seconds to a woman from Timnah. The marriage didn't go real well because he had this riddle about out of the eater came something sweet and out of the eater came some meat kind of thing. The Philistines threaten her family in Timnah to get the riddle out of him. He gets ticked off and he puts a bunch of torches onto some foxes and burns down the fields in this area. But that's the Timnah. So the ark is coming past Timnah, Samson's first five-minute marriage, heading toward Beth Shemesh. Reverse angle then, if you're in Beth Shemesh, you can see it coming. From Timnah, Ekron, comes down that path, turns, and it's coming your direction. And it's right there in the midst of that, in this you know, little village. It's my wife and I and our group walking through this little village. And all of a sudden, they look up from their homes and look up from their fields and they see the ark. And look what happens. The people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes, and they saw the ark, and they rejoiced to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua at Beth Shemesh, and it stood there. And right there, by the way, is a huge, large stone. It's 12 foot by 4 foot by about 6 foot. Massive stone. And they split the wood from the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites came down, because only Levites could touch the ark. And they grabbed the chest with a trespass offering. And they put them all on the large stone. Remember, the Philistines are repenting here, but now the Israelites need to repent. Because they tried to use God's ark as a lucky rabbit's foot for their own agenda. And here's what's amazing. Part of repenting for the Israelites is repenting with substitute cows. God knows they need to repent. God came to them when they couldn't get to him. And God already provided the sacrifice for them like he always does. Here in this cart is the wood they need for the fire. Here in this ark coming back is two bulls that are going to provide the trespass offering. Isn't that just like God? He knows we need to repent. He knows we can't get to him on our own. He knows we can't provide our own sacrifice. So he provides it all. The wood, the bull, and a big stone happens to be there. 
where they're going to sacrifice before the Lord. Repentance is exactly that. It's recognizing I need to turn from my ways and God has provided the sacrifice and I'm so covered in His grace. He's already forgiven me in Christ, past, present, and future. And so whatever I'm repenting of, it's something He's already forgiven me for. I'm just agreeing with Him that I was a pain in the neck, a pain in the keister when I did it this time. In fact, this rock is just massive. I mean, it's just massive. Look at the size of that thing. It's located right where that arrow is. Massive rock. You can still see it today. It's referenced in Joshua's day. John the Baptist will reference it in his day. And you can even go and see it today. This is an actual location that people repented, turned back to God, the way they spent their time, the way they used their body, the way they talked with their mouth, the way they saw sex, whatever it was. This was a place of repentance or returning to God. And they were able to do that because they repented because God had provided the substitute cows, the sacrifice. Is it time for you to come home? Is it time for you to repent? Is it time for you to receive God's substitute cow offering? It's been a lot of talk these last seven days, but you may not realize that one of the people that's been influencing you for the last seven days is Dr. Simmelweis. Uh, I haven't heard a lot about Dr. Simmelweis. Oh, you have. Dr. Simmelweis went crazy at about 42 years old. He ended up in a sane asylum because no one would listen to him. His whole career, he decided to dedicate himself to medicine, and one thing that broke his heart was the continual, ongoing pain of seeing young women die in childbirth. It was one in six in his days in 1818 to 1850 when he lived. One in six women dying in childbirth. Yet he began, before germ theory, began to think to himself, there's got to be a way to solve this. There's got to be a way to save these mothers and save these wives. He began to notice that when a midwife delivered a baby, the mortality rate was lower in the same hospital than if the doctor delivered the baby. Why did the doctors have a higher mortality rate of their patients than the midwives? He researched and researched and researched. By the end of his career, he would have delivered 8,000 births and he'd only have 154 deaths, which seems horrible to us on today's standards, but it was unthinkably fantastic in his day. And what he discovered is that if you would do one small thing, you could save the lives of all these women. Simply wash your hands. And the reason the midwives' patients were surviving more than the doctors is because when the doctors weren't delivering babies, they were engaged in research. Now, when you and I think of research, we think going to the library or getting on Google or reading some kind of journal. But doctors in those days, when you weren't delivering babies and when you weren't performing on patients, you were doing research in the other room across the hall. You had your hands elbow deep in a cadaver learning how the body worked and where the body parts were. And all of a sudden, while you're in the middle of research, someone would say, we got a baby to be delivered! Oh. And you would walk over to the delivery room and you would deliver a baby with dead particles all over you that you didn't see and didn't know about. Simmelweis was so convinced had the research, he had the support, he had the track record. He bought basins for all the doctors said, just wash your hands, just wash your hands. You'll save people's lives. You're carrying death particles with you. 
Right. Death particles. Imaginary, invisible particles, I'm sure, doctor. And they refused to listen to him. They threw out the basins he bought for them. And they continued to carry death into other people's lives. It wasn't until a doctor was performing an autopsy or a you know, cadaver work one day and accidentally sliced himself with a knife and he got the exact same symptoms as the women who had died that they finally began to believe him. He went crazy because no one would believe that they needed to wash their hands. That they were carrying around death. But that's what repentance is. We carry around the death of our own flesh. We've given into the flesh. We've given to things that are not of God. And God says, listen, I made a way for you to repent, to wash your hands, to come clean. In fact, even when you come to the tabernacle, remember there's that giant lavar, it looks like a big bird bath. It was reminded that you wash yourself. But you can't wash yourself clean. In Christ, he's washed you completely clean. And when he's given you a bath, you only need to wash your hands to say, God, thank you that you already forgiven me of everything. So because of that, I can bring it all out into the open and ask you to wash me again, cleanse me. He's already provided the sacrifice, the cows, that ultimately point to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus so that you and I can be free. So make today a moment that you get very specific with God and repent. You fashion your own golden hemorrhoid and your own golden rat. Because again, it comes back to that at the end of this chapter. Then the men of Beth Shemesh are sacrificing. They're burnt offerings and they made sacrifices the same day of the Lord. So the five lords have been watching, saw it. They returned to Ekron the same day. The Philistines have repented. The Israelites have repented. The five golden tumors, they remind you again, these are specific for a reason. One represented Ashdod, one represented Gaza, one represented Eshkelon, one for Gath and one for Ekron. Oh, and the golden rats. Very specific repentance for very specific consequences. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and the country cities, even as far as the large stone on Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord, the stone remains to this day in the field in Beth And it would be a wonderful story to end there, but the Bible doesn't end there. Because the Philistines have repented, the Israelites have repented, but the Israelites having just repented and said, God, your way is better than our way, we're so sorry. A few of them say, I've never been this close to the ark. I wonder what's inside. I know God says that only the Levites are supposed to touch this, but why not? I know only the high priest can even get this close. It's only one time a year behind the veil, but we've never even seen it this close. Come on, let's take a peek inside. And they do. And they open up the ark. And there's the original Ten Commandments, the ones that were broken when, Abraham, when Moses came down the first time. Then there's a second set of Ten Commandments, the replacement ones that Moses brought. There's some manna in the ark. There's a, a staff from Aaron, Moses' brother. It's got a bud on it. It's a little crumpled, but a bud. And they were reminded that people were challenging Aaron's leadership. And God made a bud appear on his, on his staff. It was the first time in the Bible God said, this bud's for you. It's right here in the ark. And as they're looking at all these things that God told them not to look at, not to touch, not to be near, but like, ah, come on. They close the door. And in that moment, when they had just repented, they looked into the ark and all of a sudden they rebelled. 
judgment of God falls on them in a way that they have never seen before. And the passage ends that God struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? To whom shall it go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kareth Jerim, which is where we'll be next week. Get the ark out of here. They pushed the ark away just like the Philistines pushed it away. The Philistines have brought back the ark. Come down and take it from us. Who is able to stand before this holy God? And here's the answer. Who can stand before this holy God? Those who've received the holiness of Jesus. For he stood on that cross and he stands at the right hand of God. That though we look where we shouldn't look, though we do what we shouldn't do, the only way you can boldly approach the throne of grace, according to Hebrews, is to understand who it is that stood in your place. And say, God, I presumed upon your rules. I presumed that I can come into your presence whenever I want, based on my own merit, my own understanding. But it's only standing in the holiness of God, the beauty of his holiness, a gift given to you in Jesus, that you can answer the question that they couldn't. And rather than pushing God away to the mount. You can draw him close because you've been given the gift of holiness. So make today the day that you agree with God that you've been a pain in the neck. You repent quickly and specifically. I want to give you a chance to do just that. Let's pray together. Maybe you first want to receive that holiness. Father, I have not been holy Say that to God. I've not been holy. But I receive the gift of your holiness. Cover me in the beauty of Jesus' holiness. And Father, because I'm fully forgiven, I need to repent of some things you've already forgiven me for. I'm going to give you a few seconds. Tell God, I am sorry that I. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, join us next week, because if you thought this was interesting, wait till you see what happens next week when they send us thing up the hill. See you next week.